turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. Glory to God. My Bible is starting to fall open to that place naturally, which is good. This is the main truth that I want you to see in today is that God wants you to have abundance. All right? And let's just read this. It says, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, what we talked about last week was that the purpose of abundance was not to satisfy the comforts of our flesh only. There is an overflow that God does want us to have a full and satisfied life, according to Psalms uh, 91. He wants us to have a full and satisfied life. There's an overflow to meet that. But the abundance is to do every good deed. And so a lot of times we have abundance and we misappropriate those, that abundance. We put that abundance in the wrong place. We apply it to us. We, we take abundance and we go, oh, good, abundance, right? And what we need to do is go, oh, look, abundance, this is for every good deed. Sometimes you're the good deed and sometimes you're not, right? So, but we need to take it to the Lord and say, what is this abundance for? And that's what we talked about last week. Anybody get some revelation out of that last week? Amen. All right. But here's the thing that you see in this verse. Who inspired this verse? The Holy Spirit did. God did. Now, he's writing in here, and I want you to see that he's writing in here. Why? To get to the end that we would do the good deeds that he wants us to. And in order to do those good deeds, you've got to have and abundance. Now this applies to finances. It applies, the context here is finances, but it also ap applies to faith and love and mercy and forgiveness. In order to do every good deed, you got to have an abundance of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? So we need to walk in abundance in everything. But here's the thing. He wants us to get into good deeds, and in order to get into good deeds, abundance is what makes that happen. Particularly, right here, it's talking about finances, right? There's stuff we want to do right now in the church that we need the abundance of God to come in and be here so that we can do it, right? We need the overflow. We've never had anything that Lord, Lord hasn't provided for. It's awesome. He is so faithful. But a lot of times, we play a part in this flow. In other words, like last week we were talking about, if we don't understand that abundance is for every good deed and we start taking abundance and applying it to our own life, how much of that abundance for every good deed in the church where you're planted to fulfill its mission is going to happen if we misappropriate the abundance? If we put it in the wrong place, the people, I mean just this whole group, let's say on the whole, we take abundance and we just put it into our individual lives, how much stuff that's supposed to be happening will happen here? It won't be enough. It won't be right, you see. So that's why we need to ask the question in the first place. But here's the other thing is a lot of people don't know that they're supposed to walk in abundance. But here's the question. He's writing this verse so that we will do the good deeds. And in order to do that, we have to have the abundance. But the purpose of the verse is to show us how to move into that abundance. But just this is real, real simple. But who wrote this verse to say, I want you to have abundance? God did. God's writing this verse to tell you, I want you to have abundance so that you can do every good deed. Now see, it begins with you and your life coming up to speed where it needs to be, even in finances. That's a truth. He wants you to be living in abundance. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll, we've been taught this a lot of times. Well, you know, he provides for me and my house. I can pay all my bills, so we're good. Praise God right? Do you or do you not have the ability within you to believe God for abundance? Is abundance just to the full? 
No, abundance is to the full till it overflows. That's all over the word. All over the word, he's in overflow and abundance. Why in the world would we read the word, see that we have faith to believe God for abundance and stop at just us, my four, and no more? That's really selfish thinking when everything is provided in God. Really selfish. Can you see that? But would we not agree that most of the church has been in that thinking? Like, as long as I'm paying my bills, I'm good. Right? Man, who's to say that we just said, you know, we said like, you know, we asked like an extra prayer each morning. Lord, give me some abundance to bless the place where you planted me and carry out the mission that I'm a part of. What if each one of us prayed and believed God for extra to carry out the mission? Maybe even some abundance to the mission. Right? What, what about that? But see, a lot of people don't even know that God wants to deal in abundance. But even back in the Old Testament, what he said was this. He said, blessed will you be, in Deuteronomy 28, he said, blessed. He said, you will be the lender and not the borrower. The lender and not the borrower. Right? Well, what does that mean? If you're the lender, that means you've got abundance. That means you're paying your bills and you've got extra. If you don't have extra, you've got nothing to lend. That's Old Testament blessing. That's Old Testament. Now we have Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's beyond that. It's a better covenant. At the very least, it includes that and brings about abundance in our lives. So the Lord wants us, just by writing this, he wants us to have abundance. Now I want to look real quickly at how, all right, he wants us to have abundance and he wants it for every good deed. But how do we do that? So I'm going to read quickly in this, starting at verse 1. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 1. It says, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And you need to see what's going on here in order to understand how to move into abundance. Really strong scriptures, like, like there's one that's not strong, but these are really good. Amen. So he says, for it is superfluous uh, for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. Now, I know Barrett probably knows what superfluous means, but basically I had to look it up, you know. And basically it means I'm writing this. I know I don't have to because you already get it, but this is, I'm writing it. I know that you understand what I'm about to say, and you're already on top of it. I know this is added and additional, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, because I think it'll help and help other people. Amen. Verse 2, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that that a guy has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So what you need to know right off the bat is the Corinthian church said, basically said, and it'll become obvious in a second, the Corinthian church said, Paul, we're going to supply part of your need that you're carrying out the gospel. We're going to give to you. We're going to take up an offering and give to you. So that's what he's talking about. So now let's read verse 2 again. For I know your readiness, readiness to give an offering, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that... that guy has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them so the zeal of the corinthian church has stirred the macedonians up like they're like man they're going to give to it too so now what's stirring in the macedonians is to be givers as well all right and so he says verse three but i have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you uh, may not be made empty in this case so that as i was saying you may be prepared. Have you ever said you do something good? And then, like, you, you went to bed and woke up the next day and you didn't feel quite as excited about doing something good as that you did then. Anybody ever had that happen? And this is what he's talking about. They had made a promise. They had given their word to be a giver. To be a giver. And he was saying, so that you will be prepared. Because guess what? The flesh doesn't like godly things. And if you're a giver, that's a godly thing. You're putting on the character and nature of God himself when you become a giver. Because for God so loved that he gave. He's a giver. That's who he is at his core. That's who he is at his core. 
Now, right here, a lot of people, they get condemned because they can't give enough at this moment. God's not looking for how much you're giving. He's looking at your heart. See, if your heart will get right, God can move you to the place where you'll give more than anybody around you. If your heart can get right. He'll make miracles happen for the person whose heart is right and bring them up to a place where they can give. And if somebody becomes the greatest giver in a group of people, guess who's also walking in the overflow and the abundance of that overflow? That person. See, just because they're a great giver doesn't mean that God doesn't allow some of the overflow. That's a biblical thing. I could teach on it, but we're not going there. He says, but I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be empty in this case. In other words, he understands, Paul understands the, how the flesh works. The flesh, he make, the flesh makes statements and then the flesh fights or the spirit makes statements and then the flesh fights that. And all of a sudden you got people and he shows up and they're like, hey man, we're really believing in your support. And they're like, um, oh, um, golly, I, oh, what'd I do with that? You know, and, and I know y'all have never been there and I haven't either, amen. That's not true. Um, he says, otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. In other words, they've been saying, look, these guys are great givers and they've been blessing us. And that was, they already were givers in 1 Corinthians. And they're talking about how good, how good of a giver they are here. They're, they're actually building up the Macedonians because of what they said here. And he says, look, basically don't let this testimony down. Don't let it down. And then he says this, verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. So that what you said out of your spirit and your heart to give would not be affected by the covetousness of the flesh. Do not raise your hand, but how many of us, <laughs> how many of us have fallen prey to the covetousness of the flesh before in our giving. Let, let, let me put it this way. If we're not tithing, we've fallen prey to the covetousness of our flesh. And tithing is 10% of our increase. If we're not tithing on our increase, we're falling prey to that covetousness, right? It's just the truth. And, and if that's you, all you do is you just repent, you change your heart, and God will supply. And that's what we're going to get to. A lot of people, though, they get embarrassed by that. They never face the issue, and they stay beat down in their finances for the majority of their life. They're always a slave to the finances because they never get over on top of that issue. Instead of humbly repenting to the Lord and saying, I've missed it, I need to give a tithe, I need to give an increase. And then it, tithing is just the beginning. Actually, what we're going to talk about is over and above the tithe, and that's how we move into abundance. Tithing is the beginning, but the offering, anything above 10%, that's how you move into abundance. That's how you move into abundance. So then it says, now I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what are we talking about in context? We're talking about giving. And he says, if you give a lot, you'll receive a lot. You give a little, you'll receive little. So here's the thing. See, most people, what they do is they look at their now. Well, what can I give now? I can't give much. I don't even know why I try. They're not looking at what God can do with what you give now. They're not looking at the future or the potential that's in Jesus when Jesus gets a hold of what you planted. See, even the ground, when it gets a hold of what you planted, it multiplies. What kind of ground are we looking at when we planted in Christ? 
All the, see, all of a sudden now you can see that what you give to the Lord, man, it, it multiplies. It multiplies on heavenly proportions. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, what does that mean? That means that you start receiving a harvest of that abundance. And now you have a harvest of abundance, not just to feed you, but to start to do every good deed. And as you continue the process of sowing and reaping, your harvest just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it begins with one seed, not even really of what you have in your hand. That's the, that's the manifestation of your faith. But what it really begins is the seed of your heart. I want to be a giver. I want to be like my daddy. I want to be like him. I'm supposed to be put on the image of Christ. That means I'm a giver. Amen. That should be every believer. The manifestation of it is, what do you give? But it begins with the seed of your heart. It says, each one, this is very important, must do as he purposed in his heart. In other words, what you purpose in your heart is what determines what will happen to that seed. So in other words, if I have, if I have an offering, we'll just watch this. So if I have an offering and in my heart, I'm like, let's say this is my tithe and I got a little bit of offering in there. But in my heart, I have not purposed to be a bountiful and cheerful giver. And I go, oh God, I don't know how I'm going to get along with the 90%. There's my tithe, right? Now, nobody comes up here and does that, but people think that all the time, right? <laughs> but nobody throws it in there like that, but that's what they think. And the reason they think that is because they just don't really know God. They don't really know him. But what happened is, even if they gave, let's say that this was the biggest offering that they ever gave, but in their heart, they weren't purposed to be a bountiful or a cheerful giver, they should have kept it. Because it's not going to do anything for them. It's not doing anything. Because it's as you purpose in your heart. As you purpose in your heart. But now somebody can walk up like the widow with their two mites. And, and they might not do this either. But in their heart, this is what's happening. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. I get to give to my Savior. Praise God. How? Whoo, it's two pennies. Thank you for the two pennies. I get to give it back to you. Glory. Lord, I'm planting it in you. You are taking me to abundance in Jesus' name. That person just became, in financial terms, a millionaire. Yeah. That person with that heart continued, just broke the power of the devil over their finances. And it all came back to what they purposed in their heart. Because that two pennies will now grow up. And when it grows up, it's good. It's good. And it gets gooder and gooder. Right? It's really, really good. Not looking at Barrett, the English major. Verse 8. So now we get to this place where it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. There's so many absolutes in that verse. So many absolutes about what he wants to do. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. In other words, what it's saying there is he gives to people. You know, we, every week, we make sure every adult has an envelope to give. Even if they're given another envelope, but they need one more seed because they weren't prepared today, we give them some seed that they don't just go home and throw away. We give them that envelope to not just throw away in the trash can, not just leave it in their Bible till it's all folded and bent up. That thing cost us some money, but we give it to them, and they can give that thing right back. Doesn't have to have a thing in it. It's seed. And that starts, if they'll purpose in their heart, it starts the process of moving towards abundance. He gives seed to the sower here in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. 
Now, I want you to see this. See, if anybody ever says, well, I just don't have anything to sow, I don't have anything to give, what does that tell you? Because the Word says He gives seed to the sower. That means in your heart, they haven't purposed to be a sower yet. If there's nothing to give, then they haven't purposed to be a sower yet. That changes everything. When they purpose in their heart to be a sower, they will have seed. He gives seed to the sower. So I've been in times before where, you know, I just, a lot of times I'll, I just gave all my money away to somebody. I just gave it to somebody, right? And then I go into a service and, and I, don't, I don't have something just for that day. But it doesn't go a service or two. I got some money again. Somebody will come up, hand you something, right? God gives seed to the sower. He gives seed to the sower. He gives seed to the one who's made themselves a sower in their heart, who's purposed themselves. So one of the things, that's why when everybody comes in here, we help give them seed. We want to jumpstart them into being a sower. We want to help them. So he says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So there's two different types of, of things here. One is a harvest of the seed and one is a harvest for your living, for your bread. So you have to understand that not everything that comes into your hand is for you to eat or take part of or put it to your abundance. Part of what comes into your hand, one is to sow and one is for you to eat. And you have to ask the Lord, what's what? That's good teaching. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He'll not only give you seed, but when you plant it, he will multiply the seed. Not just multiply in the harvest, he will multiply the seed. So see, all of a sudden when that same person comes up here with the two mites, here's what happens. You have to understand. The Lord, they come up here with a purpose heart to be a good sower. And they come up here praising God, worshiping the Lord and they're giving, right? And the Lord's like, oh... They were a sower. Did you see that heart? I'm going to add a little to that. Amen. In Jesus' name. He adds to it. He multiplies the seed sown. This is great. How would you like to be a farmer that you go out and plant a field and somebody else comes beside you and throws some extra seed in there? Glory to God. Man, that just, that, it's already a multiply from the seed to the harvest, but now we're multiplying the seed. Now that's a multiplied multiply. That's right. This is exponential when we get our heart right. Yes. When we purpose in our heart to be bountiful and cheerful sowing. Sowers. So he will he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything. Look at that wording. You will be enriched in everything. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. In other words, when he returns the seed multiplied and the harvest, what happens is you will be enriched in everything and it will produce in you a thanksgiving because the manifestation of the seed you planted now will bring a harvest that's increased. And we will start thanking God for what he's done. And it all goes back to purposing in our heart to be a cheerful and bountiful giver. For the ministry, verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through the many thanksgivings to God. See, the Lord wants to get to the place where people start overflowing in thanksgivings to God. It's not just about money. It's about God getting the glory and moving to the place of many thanksgivings. But it all starts with somebody who decides, I'll be a sower and have a bountiful heart about it 
and have a cheerful heart about it. But it can all be wrecked by covetousness. It can all be wrecked by covetousness of the flesh does this. Uh, how much do I have in my pocket? Well, okay, I'll just, I'll give this. I need to keep this other part. See, that, that's where we need to say, Lord, here's what I got. What do you want? Yeah. Sometimes he'll say nothing. And that's, that's obedience. You need to be obedient to that. Because sometimes you may have $100 in your pocket, but then you'll walk out and the Lord will you'll meet somebody and, and he'll say, that's who that hundred's for. In other words, he was holding it for the right thing. It may be the smallest amount. It may be the biggest amount. But see, a cheerful giver is ready to give it no matter what he says. I'm ready to be obedient. And that's the sower that can bring about abundance. And that's the abundance that brings about every good deed. Amen? You see that? And so all we need to do is just ask the Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to give? Not under, not under compulsion, not under pressure to give, but simply because I've decided in my heart that I will be a sower. So let's just stand today. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. If you have, have your tithes and offerings, they're ready, Lord, ready to be taken up. You're welcome to lift them. This is a worship. Forget about everybody standing around you. Anybody need an envelope? Just raise your hand. If you need an envelope to just begin your giving, to jumpstart your giving. Forget about, this is between you and the Lord. This is worship. Father, we worship you with our giving. This represents our life. And Lord, what we're saying to you out of our giving is we would not have this life if it was not for you. It's not a payment to you. It's simply honoring you and recognizing that you are the source of every bit of life that I have. You are the source of everything that I need. Father, we praise you and we love you. Lord, we worship you. We play some music softly. We worship you with our giving today. Lord, we purpose in our heart to be a cheerful and abundant, bountiful giver. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to be givers. Lord, we want abundance that will allow every good deed to be done and not go undone. And we will not be affected by covetousness. We want to be like you. Lord, you're jump-starting financial breakthrough in the lives of people today. You want us to have abundance for every deed. We receive it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Bring your worship to the altar in Jesus' name. Father, when you get back, you can just be seated. Lord, we just praise you. We just, Lord, in your name, we receive your tithes and offerings. And Father, we just ask that it would be blessed, that it would be pressed down, shaken together, and running over in the lives of people, Lord. Let that seed be multiplied, and Lord, let it be returned to them. In Jesus' name, we praise you and love you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So just last week, we actually had a testimony about that. Paul, you had, um, you can just nod if it's correct. But basically, uh, you, the Lord told you to give a certain amount. Your heart was ready to give. And you didn't know how some stuff was going to work out this week. And uh, then all of a sudden, it turned really good. Is that right? Amen. <laughs> he was telling me the testimony. Huh? Way above. Amen. That glory to God. That's the way the Lord works. A few weeks ago, a few, or a couple of months ago, Gabe had a similar situation where the Lord moved on his heart. He was just obedient. 
It did not make logical sense, but he was obedient to what the Lord showed him. That week, it came through well. It, it proved something to you, didn't it? It moved, it moved him. It was awesome. That's the way the Lord does when we get obedient to him. Nicole and I have always seen that work the same way over and over and over and over again. Matter of fact, probably our biggest challenge was finances when we first started out. What we didn't realize was that through finances, that's really how he taught us faith for everything else. Healings that you're seeing now, it was based on how we applied faith to our finances. Because where we learn faith in finances, the Lord says that's the small things in the kingdom. When we learn faith there, I started to learn how to apply it for people to get healed and get delivered and get set free. Because it, But it came, that's how we learned it, right? It works the same. We just have to learn these things and apply it. We have to trust God. So amen. Glory to God. So we've been talking about made to reign. Made to reign. And turn to Romans chapter 5. Have you enjoyed the series on made to reign? Have you learned something? I'm telling you what. If you didn't see part one and part two of Made to Rain, you need to go back and watch that. It's, this is, I, I'll show you why. This is one of the most important series that we have ever preached, partially because of this, and we'll get to it. I'll show it to you in Scripture. Your maturity in Christ is based off of learning what we're talking about in this series, the gift of righteousness. Your maturity in the Lord is rated by how you apply the gift of righteousness. And that's what we're talking about in this series in Made to Reign. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17 says this. For if by the transgression of the one, talking about Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. You were made to reign. You were made to reign. One of the reasons why it's so important for us to get on top of finances is, finances is a bondage. Debt is a bondage if you don't get on top of it. Anybody ever been there and know what I'm talking about? Right. If you haven't gotten on top of it, you're not going to reign in Christ being held down by finances. It's one of the reasons why the devil fights is why he talks, talks about preachers and money all the time when he's whispering in people's ears is because of that. Because he knows if he can hold somebody down in finances, they're never going to be able to cast the devil out of somebody. They're not going to walk in that on a regular basis. They're not going to be able to set somebody free. But you were made to reign in this life. You were made to reign. You, close your eyes. You, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you. You were made to reign. You were made to reign. I know you might not have felt like it at times. But that's who you were designed to be. You were made to in the image of God. Just let that sit. You were made in the image of God. The one who reigns the best. You were made to reign. The devil's lied to you for all your life. Telling you how sorry and low down. And how much you missed it. And how much you're not God. But it's time for you to stop listening to that voice and listen to the voice of God that says you, through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, are to reign in life. You were made for this. You were designed by God to reign in this way. Amen? Amen. Receive it. You were made to reign. You'll see in this that it says we are to reign in life and we reign in life by these things to the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We talked about grace is basically the manifestation of the graciousness of God. God is so good, grace is the manifestation of his goodness. Uh, in, in legal terms, you can say it is unmerited favor and empowerment 
to walk out God's things. That's what grace is. Basically, grace solves every issue you would ever have. Praise God. Y'all are looking at me like a cow at a new gate. All right, I'm going to break through that in Jesus' name. Get you. Abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Abundance of grace. Grace solves every issue that you have ever had or ever will have. It solves every one of them. It solves everything. Man, is that not praiseworthy that he has given you the tools to solve every problem? It doesn't mean that you won't go through trials and tribulations. It just means in the middle of them, there'll be some grace available for you to solve that thing. But we can move in places of greater grace through our humility, and we unlock grace through righteousness. That's why it says we reign in life through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. You've got to understand what both of them are and know how to apply them in order to start reigning. See, the Lord needs some people that will reign in this life. I think it's in Romans 8. It talks about that the earth is waiting for the manifestation of the children of God. The manifestation of the children of God. Do you know what the manifestation of the children of God is? It means people that are like little gods. In other words, people made in His image that start to reign like He does with His power and His love. And that's who you're called to be. See, what's been happening is we've been walking through the, the world like, well, we're just weird people and we're waiting to go to heaven instead of doing what we're called to do, which is to reign in life by the abundance of grace through the gift of righteousness. We're called to reign and the world is waiting. It's moaning. It's groaning. It's longing is what the word says. It's longing for the children of God to stand up and be who they're called to be. If that's you, say amen. amen. Say that's me. that's me. That is you. Are you convinced? I'm wondering. Amen. <laughs> but that's who you're called to be. You were made to reign. And the earth longs for the children of God to stand up and be who they're called to be. Is this an age thing? No, it's not. It's a heart thing. It's a faith thing. It's a grace and righteousness thing. But see, grace is so longing to get out from God and get into the people made in His image. But for the longest time, there was a blockage. And that blockage was... The people were not right. They were all messed up. But as soon as they were made right with God, in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus comes on the earth, it's like it's a new age, baby. He says, glory be to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill towards men with whom he is pleased. In other words, he said, I'm pleased with mankind. you got so many people talking about an angry God. And you you got to understand that there is a wrath of God. But in this period of time, it's put on hold. It's reserved till the end. And that wrath is going to fall on people that don't receive Christ. But for now, it's an age of grace. It doesn't mean we get to go around and do whatever. We'll talk about this later. It doesn't mean we get to go around and do whatever we want to. It says it like this. God forbid you do that. That's a bad deal. But he's not mad looking to punish people. He's in grace, his, his own graciousness, looking to get his love into people. Like what we were talking about earlier. He's looking to get his abundance into people. He says it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said that he's not holding the transgressions of the world against them. He's made the world right if they will receive him. All they have to do is just receive him. So his graciousness wanted to manifest in the lives of people and start solving problems. But the problem was they weren't right with God. They were not righteous. And so Jesus came along and said, I 
will make them righteous. I will take their sin and I will give them my righteousness. And they will be made righteous by faith. And all of a sudden, grace will explode in their lives and start solving the problem and healing them and bringing them to abundance. And now they can reign through grace, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Does that verse make more sense now? All right. Just checking. What has grace provided? You know, one of the verses that we've been in is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. You don't have to go there, but if you have your handout, definitely look at that. And you'll see that there's a and look on the back of your handout. Another thing you can do, whether you're here or you're watching online, is go to boomerangchurch.org slash notes. And you can see the notes that aren't made small to fit on one piece of paper. They're there every week. But in Ephesians chapter 2, what has grace provided? And let's just look at this. It says in, in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, it says, We are saved by grace through faith. So the first thing that grace provided was our salvation. It saved us. When we have put faith on God, <coughs> faith on Christ, and we received the gift of righteousness, grace saved us. Glory to God. It kept us from going to hell. It saved us. The next thing that happened was we were raised and seated with Christ. This is past tense. It's not something we're waiting on. Now we're seated in heavenly places with Jesus by grace. Glory to God. I'm not down here in the problem. I'm not getting beat up on the same level of my problem. No, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places with all things under my feet, just like all things are under his feet. It raised us and seated us in heavenly places. That's what grace did. But it says there in those verses, so he saved us and raised us so that he could manifest in us the not just riches, but surpassing riches of his grace. So he saved us, raised us, seated us so that he could give us the riches, surpassing riches of his grace. Do you think that you and I have a clue as to just how much surpassing riches of grace are? I don't think we can even fathom it. I think his goodness uh, sounds like exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can even ask or think. It's so good, we can't even understand it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Surpassing riches of his grace. And look, you're going to notice this pattern over and over again. Same pattern we saw in 2 Corinthians 9 in the offering. He wanted to manifest the surpassing riches of his grace so that we would walk in his good works. That's why grace was given. Not just to save you. Not just to raise you and seat you with Christ. Not just to get the surpassing riches of his grace in you. But he wanted us to move on towards the, being the ambassador he's called us to be. Out of the abundance, out of the overflow, to move towards good works. It's a repeating pattern. Same thing in the garden. Uh, Adam, be blessed and have dominion. Take my dominion, take my kingdom and bless the rest of this earth. Noah coming off the boat. Be blessed. Be in abundance. Be in overflow and take that overflow into all the earth and bless it. Abraham, be blessed. And all the people of the earth, all the nations will be blessed through you. It's a repeating pattern. God wants to take each and every one of us, every single one of us, and he wants to say, you're blessed. And then overflow. You're blessed and overflow. Blessed and overflow. Blessed and overflow. Blessed and now you overflow. Blessed and overflow. Blessed and overflow. Blessed and overflow. It's a repeating pattern. It's constant. He just needs somebody that'll say, bless me. 
I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll serve you. I, you're my Lord. You call the shots. But bless me so that I can bless others. But now the person that just goes, bless me because I want to be blessed. That, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the person that will stand in the gap and say, I'll stand in, bless me, I will serve others, I'll come up underneath other people and help bear the burdens of others, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. But bless me, I need to have overflow so that the people that you love, Father, can be blessed. It's a repeating pattern. It's all throughout the Word. Same thing. Give me abundance to do every good deed. Bless me with the surpassing riches of your grace so that I can do every good work. Jesus said, Father, you know, bless me so that I can go save your people. Bless me. He, he goes to fulfill all righteousness. I need to give myself to the baptism. Lord, he's, what's he doing? He's reaching out to the Father, humbling himself to the Father, saying, I need your blessing." He's baptized, comes back up. He prays, the heavens part, the Holy Spirit comes down. He starts moving in the overflow, goes into the wilderness, beats back the devil, goes to the wedding, first miracle starts out of the overflow. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. Let me not just give you the Holy Spirit to save you. Let me fill you with the Holy Ghost so that out of the overflow, the anointing may start helping other people. Same thing with the baptism of fire. Let me not just touch you for a moment, but let you be a carrier and walk in my presence. I am consuming fire so that when you walk around other people, the fire of God starts to jump on them. It's a, it's a continuing pattern in the word. God blesses his people so that they might be a blessing. But see, if he doesn't have a people that will receive with the right heart, abundant and cheerful, willing to give, freely you've been given, freely give. If you don't have a people with the right heart, he can't flow in them properly. There's a restriction. There's a kink in the pipe, a blessing in their lives and to the lives of people over. But if they'll get their heart right, now the overflow can come. And this is what grace does too. It's designed to be a blessing to you, yes, but to flow through you. To flow through every one of us. Grace, what did it provide? It provided everything. Don't, don't go to these scriptures, but let me just read them to you real quickly here. Listen, listen, just listen to this. Just listen. The scripture on there, you can write them down later. Just listen. What are the surpassing riches of his grace? Psalms 84, 10 through 12. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. One day in your courts, Lord, is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Listen right here. The Lord gives grace and glory no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Not one thing does he uphold. Not one thing does he hold back from those who walk with the right heart. What makes you have the right heart? It means that you've given yourself over to God. But what jump starts that whole thing? The gift of righteousness. See, because Jesus was righteous, he declared you righteous. You're righteous right now. And if you'll receive it, there's not one good thing that he's holding back from any believer. Not one. Now they may plant the seeds that puts them in a place where they can't, you know, they may plant wrong seeds of the flesh where they can't receive it all. But what are the surpassing riches? He's not holding any good thing back. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but he delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? The surpassing riches of his grace. He's not holding any good thing back. He's given us all things. All things. Freely. 
1 Corinthians 3, 21 and 23. What are the riches of His grace? He's not holding anything back. He freely gives us all things. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. All things are yours. What are the surpassing riches of His grace? You have all things in His grace. Well, what things are you talking about? All. All. What things don't you have? That would be a much shorter list. Actually, it's really, really short. There's nothing you don't have. He's not holding back one thing. In His surpassing riches of grace, you have all. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord, Jesus our Lord. Notice that grace and peace is multiplied in what? How does grace and peace multiply? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. See, a lot of times people aren't pressing into the Lord. They're not praying. They're not, they're not getting in the Word. They're not meditating on Him. They're not worshiping. They're not spending time. And they don't realize that they're missing parts of grace and peace because they don't know Him. They're not getting to know Him. They're not spending fellowship time with Him. They're not, they're, not, they're not going after Him. They're not studying to know Him and His ways and His character and nature. And when they go to pray, they have no backing for their faith because they don't know Him. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Jesus our Lord. This is what we're talking about in impact. The more we know Him, the more we walk in this, the more the surpassing riches of grace, the surpassing riches of all things flow in our lives and it comes back to what do we know about him are we going after him have we made him a priority you know are we are we going after him more than we're going after anything else you know a college degree is great but it pales in comparison to knowing about jesus and spending time with him the world's promoted, well, no education no future well you can say that about god but it's a lot more strong you need to know him Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us. In other words, what He's wanting to do is as we gain knowledge of Him, all of a sudden we start to see some things. We start to see some things work and come to pass in our lives. That His divine power, watch this, through grace and peace, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness everything pertaining to life and godliness everything he's granted us everything we would ever need it's already been granted you say i already have it say i already have it it's already been given to you but you can grow in it look at the next word through the true knowledge of him See, there's knowledge being preached about him that's not true, that's not talking about the blessing of God. It's not talking about his peace and goodwill towards men. It's talking about how, how mean he is and everything. Listen, our God is a God of war, but what does he war against? He wars against people that would come against his covenant people. When he's a God of war, it's one that's coming against his blessing manifesting. That's what he wars against. He's warring against people that have set their mind to not go after him. And those people will cause other people not to walk in the blessing. And he wants his covenant people to walk in the most that he can. It's just like a husband and a wife. If somebody came in and they tried to come against my family and come against my wife, they're going to find out that I'm a nice pastor, but I can be a mean husband because I'm a covenant man. Not mean to her, but mean towards them. Because I'm a covenant person. She and I are one. You're coming against me. You come against my family. You're coming against me. And it's, it's important to understand, where did I get that from? From him. 
He says, blessed be the ones that bless you and cursed be the ones that curse you. In other words, don't come against my people. So he is a covenant God, but the whole purpose of it is he's looking that every child made it in his image. He wants them to come to the knowledge of him. And as they come to the knowledge of him, they will experience the grace and peace multiplied and bring about the manifestation of that. The true knowledge of him has granted us in grace and peace everything pertaining to life and godliness who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. See, the promises of God that we haven't been getting answered in our life, many of them are, have not come about because we didn't have a true knowledge of who he was. And we haven't walked in grace because we haven't understood righteousness and how that's the key to unlock it all. But there's a great and magnificent promises that he wants to bring about, but it comes through grace and righteousness. But also understand that he wants to manifest them. Praise God. So that by them, look at this next statement. So that by them, you might become partakers of his divine nature. That means you become a partner with the divine nature of God. In other words, made in his image to do the same things that he did. To do the same things that Jesus did. Well, I'm just, I'm just a lowly Christian. That's why you haven't become a divine partaker yet. You need to open up your eyes to the manifestation of the sons of God, the children of God, and you need to be who God's created you to be. And when you start to see that, you'll start to walk in those things. But how does the, a partaker of the divine nature, how many people that makes uncomfortable to hear that kind of talking? I know when I first heard it, I was like, ooh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Because we've been taught for so long that you are not equal to God. And you're not. You'll never be God. You'll never be Jesus. But through him, you can become like him. Matter of fact, the whole purpose of the church in Ephesians 4 is to grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. To be like him. To walk like him. Talk like him. Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. This verse right here, you can look at it yourself, study it any way you want to, forwards and backwards. And if you break it down and get honest with it and get really humble to the Spirit of God, you're going to find out that He wanted to take who He was and make you like that. You can never save yourself. You're not Jesus. You're not the Father. But He wants to make you like Him. He wants you to be able to do the things that He does and the things that He did. He wants you to have creation in your mouth. He wants you to walk in that power. And that's what the verses are talking about when it says the earth groans and longs for the manifestation of the children of God in Romans 8. So that by them, grace and peace and knowledge of him, the magnificent promises, the manifestation of his magnificent promises... By them, you may become partners or partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You start to escape the corruption of the world. In other words, the world's junk starts not working on you anymore. Can I get an amen? So I know it's warm in here today because it's like heat index whatever outside. Heat index almost hell. But you got to stay with me because this is more important than that heat index in your sleep. I'm telling you how to escape the corruption of the world and escape every bit of the curse. How many people have longed for that? This is a reality. This is not just theory. This is a reality. The more excited you get about it, the more it'll work for you. The more excited you get about it, the more it'll work for you. The purpose of grace, 2 Corinthians 4.15. So what is it that's in grace? All things. All things. You've been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. There's nothing you're missing in grace. Nothing. 
Nothing. And then when you start to recognize that and walk in it, you become a par partner with God in His divine nature and you start to see the manifestation of His magnificent promises and the world and its corruption and its curse starts to lose its grip on your life. And it all comes down to knowledge of Him, getting to know Him, fellowship with Him, and knowing what grace has bought what grace wants to do, and how the gift of righteousness has opened it up in your life. We talked about it. The purpose of grace says, 2 Corinthians 4, 15, For all things are for your sakes, so that the Lord wants to bless you with all things, so that grace, which is spreading to more and more people, may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. He gives us surpassing riches of grace so that we can do the good works. He gives us those surpassing riches of grace so that we can do the good works. That's the purpose of grace, so that we can be empowered to go and be like Him and do what He did. But righteousness is that key. I said it last week, and we'll, we'll look at it some more. I said it last week that righteousness is like the remote. If you can imagine on TV, right now you're looking at channels of sickness and disease, and you're looking at you know families broken apart. And you know each channel is a different ungodly cursed channel, and it's kind of like in the old days where they had filters on the cable line. And you know there's a, there's a premium channel there. You just got to get the filter that, that'll let you see it, right? That filter and that remote, they help you change the channel or maybe put in the right code. I, if I could just put in the right code, I could turn the healing channel. If I could just put in the right code, I could turn over the salvation channel. If I could just put in the right code, then I could get, I know it's there. Those channels of grace are there. All things, provision, healing, deliverance, restoration, salvation. They're all there. Protection. All those channels are there in the graciousness of God. They're all there. I just don't have the code. And Jesus came and he said, let me put the code in for you. The code that you're looking for is my righteousness. It's my righteousness. You don't have the code, and even if you thought you did, it would never work for you. You could try all your life to punch in the right code, but you're not going to do it. And Jesus said, I will live a righteous life, and I am the code. I'm the doorway between you and God. I am the door, and you can enter through me. And he punches in the code, and all of a sudden, all those channels of sickness and lack and, and curse, they all go away, and the channels of God open up, the channels of his character and nature, the channels of his grace open up, and that's the righteousness of God in Christ. And he says this, he says, when you believe, when you confess me as Lord and you believe that God raised me from the dead, you are made righteous. When you uh, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you get born again, it's not waiting for you to get holy. You receive the gift of righteousness the minute you receive him and grace, all things, the manifestation of every promise, it opens up to you because Jesus punched in his righteousness. And all of a sudden, all those things are yours. See, turn real quickly to 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says this in Hebrews 1.8. He says, righteousness is the scepter of the kingdom. It's the power. It's the authority. You know, kings could take the scepter, their rule, and, by, and they could take that scepter and they could just point it at a guy. And all the guards would rush him and just take him out. I mean, it was a symbol of the power of that king because the king held it. If they held the scepter, they held the power of the kingdom. Righteousness is the scepter of the kingdom of God. That's Hebrews 1.8. Go look it up for you. It's on your notes. But right here it says this. I want you to get this. That when you accepted Christ, this is what happened. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on your behalf. 
on your behalf so that you, so that we might become the righteousness of us. No, that's not what it says. That you might become the righteousness of God himself in Jesus. In the King James, it says this, that you have been made, not waiting on it, you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. All those channels of God's graciousness with every blessing, it's all sitting there waiting for somebody to punch in the code. And as soon as you do this, Father, Jesus is my Lord. And I believe that you raised him up from the dead. Today I'm saved. I'm born again. I receive forgiveness. Raise me up and seat me in heavenly places with him. In Jesus' name, I receive grace. In that moment, you are made, if you believe that with your heart, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ. And Jesus just punched in all the codes you'll ever need for grace to come into your life. The only reason why it didn't happen automatically is you didn't know it. And you didn't know how to operate in it and operate with the gift of righteousness, which we'll be talking about some more. But when we start to know, see what he'll come in there and do is he'll say this. Uh, you, you messed up. You told a lie about that. Uh, you, you stole this. You, know, you don't really like them. Why would you forgive them? He talks about everything bad you did even before you got born again. He talks about all of that stuff. And he reminds you of how unrighteous your flesh is. Instead of you reminding him of how righteous Jesus is and how I'm made now in the righteousness of God, in Christ. I'm not concerned about what this flesh has and wants to do. I'm more concerned about the righteousness of Jesus and what it's done for me. And see, when we have knowledge of that, we start to walk in the righteousness of God. And that righteousness starts to build up a holiness inside of us and we start to walk and manifest the nature of God and we become like the children of God that we're supposed to be. And all of a sudden, grace works. So right now, just as you're sitting there, just bow your head and just pray this with me. Just say, Father, I ask your forgiveness for not walking in knowledge of righteousness. For missing pieces of grace. And your word says that if I confess my wrongdoing, you are faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness. I ask your forgiveness right now. For all unrighteousness. Jesus is my Lord. I make him the director of my life. And I believe that he died for me, took my sin on him, and that you brought him back to life. And now I am raised and I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am saved by grace. I have the gift of righteousness. All grace and its surpassing riches have been given to me. And from this point forward, I am about your good works. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Baptize me with fire. And let me walk as a child of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. This day has changed for you if you meant that. Just right now, bow your